Good evening, Nam fans, and welcome back to the Demon Land podcast. My name is Andy, and the Demons remain undefeated. The streak is now at 17 games in a row, and we are now two games and percentage clear on top of the ladder. Joining me tonight to discuss our latest win is veteran Demon Lander George. Good evening, George. Good evening, Andy. Good evening, Ben the Man. Good evening to all the NAM supporters out there. 17 straight wins it is. When will it end? Well, unfortunately, you're not going to find out on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, I, I've uh, got my daughters sort of involved in the whole streak that we've got going, and I, they always ask me how many more do we need to, to win to have the record, and uh, it's a bit early to sort of uh, go with that because we're still a little bit off. Uh, also joining us tonight, uh, Big Man, who is hopefully over his bout of COVID. Uh, good evening, Big Man. How are you feeling? <laughs> <laughs> I'm good, thanks, Andy. How you going? Good evening, uh, Demon Landers. Good evening, Andy. Good evening, George. And um, you know, playing the um, devil's advocate and spoiler here, George is. It's funny you should say that. You won't hear it here because I was just thinking um, this afternoon to remind myself to remind um, loyal D's fans that we'll almost certainly have a loss around the buy time. So it's hashtag we're doing the same things as last year is that we all run out of gas and um, I would be really surprised if we don't lose a game around the buy period on the other side of it, this side of it. Um, and we're at that point last year in the season where pretty much the mirror part of the season where we struggled a little bit against um, Adelaide, um, played a lower team and lost that game. We beat the Roos. And then we came up against the contender um, the next week in um, the Dogs and we're up for that. Um, and we've got Frio, so it almost mirrors it exactly. Then we roll into the bye, um, and there's no doubt in my mind we'll be loading up like we did last year, and um, we'll come out physically taxed and tired, and we'll be ripe for the picking on the other side of the bye. How many hats are you going to put on that, Ben, then? Uh, I won't put too many hats on us losing, um, but good thing I didn't put a hat on um, a Nibbler, uh, sorry, on uh, Bedford playing, although he did get selected in the 23 and he ended up playing and I'm going to get some credits in the bank for getting picking Melksham a few weeks back that he was on the cusp of selection. So I, I've got some hat protection there. Um, and uh, Dunstan didn't get selected. Oh, no, he did. Didn't no, he? he did. That's right. We're all winners. <laughs> he did. Um, but he only came in, he didn't get selected actually. Um, he came in uh, for Viney. Did he not? Uh, yes, he came in for Viney, yep. So everywhere, better each Well, one. he still got selected, didn't he? Just not well, on the Thursday night. So yes. I think uh, you should buy some more hats. <laughs> yes, let's uh, let's get into the match wrap up. Um, I was lucky enough to watch this match with uh, Demonland royalty. Uh, George's designated seat wasn't far from mine, and as the crowd was thinly dispersed and scattered around the stadium, there was plenty of seats available. So we watched the game together, and I can now confidently claim that between the three of us guys, uh, we've never lost a game that we have watched in each other's company against the Kangaroos. The man and I. Of course, watch the preseason scratch match against North out at Casey together. And the two matches couldn't have been uh, further apart in terms of the way that we played. The D's easily accounted for an undermanned ruse uh, that day and took out the match by 88 points. And many D's fans would have gone into this match expecting or hoping uh, for much of the same result. However, 
that was not the case. And the Ruse put up a little bit more fight than we saw in February and took it right up to the Demons in terms of Endeavour. But at the end of the match, at the end of the match, they were no match for us. It's no surprise that the Demons' game plan and system suffered a major blow with Ed Langdon being subbed out. The majority of our run and link-up out of defence goes through Ed Langdon. His elite gut-running up and down the wing is an important uh, part of the way we play. So taking that piece of the puzzle out of the context is, uh, contest is, of course, going to have an impact. And At this time, we, well, we sort of know the extent of his injury. They're saying there's no, um, there's no internal damage, but he does have a broken rib and trained probably with no little contact, but I reckon he's unlikely to play this year, uh, this week. This year. This week. That went bad quick. <laughs> slip, slip of the tongue. Um, you know, he's, he's taken that uh, heavy knock. I reckon he'll miss one to two weeks. Um, definitely. Uh, it's a huge loss, and we'll talk more about how we can cover that loss later in the show. Another talking point later in the show will be our inaccuracy in front of the big sticks with 30 shots to 13. You'd certainly expect a bigger winning margin. And then when you drill down further into the statistics and see that we've had 40 more inside 50s, 74 to 34, you start to get a picture that despite the dominance, we aren't making the most of our opportunities. Uh, the connection with our forwards was just not up to scratch and is, is something that we'll need to work on with matches against some of our top four competition in the coming weeks. In the middle, Clary was outstanding, racking up a PB for most disposals, well, his, his PB for most disposals in a game, 45 possessions, 22 contested, 13 inside 50s, 11 clearances, uh, six score involvements, six tackles, five marks, five intercepts, 22 pressure acts and 621 metres gain. He got the 10 coaches votes and I can confidently say that he'll get the three Brownlow votes as well for this game. Uh, uh, Bin Man will speak more about uh, Clary later. Uh, Tommy Sparrow continued to impress with his development, filling in for the void created by the withdrawal of Viney and George. will talk more on that later. A rock solid defence took another under 60 scalp, which seems to have become my yardstick uh, to assessing their performance. Lever's aerial intercept skills and May's physical one-on-one strength were once again hallmarks of this wonderful defensive unit, May with eight intercepts and Lever with seven. The victory takes us two games and a healthy percentage clear of second spot. And after a little bit of a tussle, we were able to easily account for this, for the for a cellar dweller, particularly without premiership stars in Viney, Salem, Hibbard, Harms and Langdon. With upcoming matches against Fremantle and Sydney and then Brisbane after the bye, I think we'll get a better sense of where we're truly at. Guys, any other general comments you want to make uh, about this match? B-Man, I'll start with you and then George, you jump in when he's done. Yeah, the um, I, I, I thought a bit similar to the previous week at was a really entertaining game and uh, I was reflecting afterwards is that we're in an interesting position as a team because I, I don't think you could accuse any of the teams we've played um, so far not to bring their best effort and, um, you know, you can imagine the sort of the way the coach or any coach, Noble or anyone coming up against us who is not one of the top four clubs, for instance, on the ladder or a genuine premiership contender, they would frame any match against us as a an opportunity, wouldn't they? It's like it's a free hit to an extent, but they would be the messaging would be what have you got to lose? You go out there, play your hardest, you know the old if they cut they bleed, they all pull the pants on the same way, all of that sort of palaver is that you know 
the message, no doubt, from Noble would have been what we expect from you is a minimum threshold of effort. And um, I think that's what you gave. I wrote on Demon Land before, if they don't bring that sort of effort um, uh, to the match, then and um, we'll flog them by 100 points. Or if they could only maintain that for half a game of footy. Uh, and credit to them where it's due, I thought their effort was terrific. Um, they stuck to their guns as far into the game as they could. They wilted a bit in the end, but uh, I thought their intensity at the ball was was first class. You know, it's really interesting watching us because I was really, really thrilled about how our intensity was. All our numbers were where they should have been, the way Goody talks about the numbers that reflect the Melbourne game. Our contested possessions were, were strong. Our attack on the ball was strong. Our one percenters was there. What well, was a little bit off, and I, and I uh, you know, I've not played elite level sport, um, but I'm guessing you know the the best players in any sport rise to the best. You know, someone plays better um, in a grand final in terms of being mentally switched on than they do in the middle of winter against a bottom team. Is so that you know that we looked a bit off to my eye early on, but not in effort and not in intensity. We looked a bit off with our skills and yeah. not quietly switched on, and you know, having not played it sort of elite sport, you know, I've, I've played plenty of sport and know myself just within that sort of thinking. There's times when you're mentally more switched on than others and I think the more amateur you are, the more obvious that was certainly the case. I played a lot of cricket and that was always the case and, for you know, you could just tell when you were on more and I think it felt like, you know, we weren't on. That's a bit what George was saying last week is about the challenge for a full season to stay in the zone. Um, but what was most impressive, I thought, was that we brought our intensity as well. Um, and I just wanted to reflect on that comment from last week about West Coast. I said the same about West Coast. I watched the the um, West Coast Suns game, uh, sorry, GWS game, because I backed um, GWS with a logic that that uh, West Coast would drop their bundle and you've got a team under a new coach who are going to do anything but drop their bundle and, and go for it. And I'm not sure if you guys watched that. Um, it was an appalling performance by West Coast. Nothing at all similar to um, uh, the way they played against us in terms of effort or application or intensity. It was literally what, like... A Melbourne training run would have been fiercer than that, I have no doubt whatsoever. They were scoring, GWS scored something ridiculous, like 79% of times they went inside 50, their own 50 they scored. So my point really is that we haven't played a team yet who's done that, who's just simply not turned up. And West Coast, after their terrific effort against us, didn't turn up against the, um, GWS. Uh, and um, and North, I, I thought North might not. I thought they might um, turn up their toes a little bit. So I was really pleased, pleased for North because I really like North as a footy club and, and I want them to do well, but also pleased for us because we don't want that sort of game that GWS got given against West Coast. What sort of practice is that for us? So, you know, all power to every club, I reckon, that comes out every week with full effort and full intensity because that's what's going to keep our edge sharp um, as we move through this season. It was it was interesting, wasn't it? Um, I think the, uh, the important factor in this game was that our, how well our systems held up uh, when required, even in the absence of... Um, you know, was it five premiership players and bringing in players who uh, basically not only weren't part of that premiership, but they weren't even at the club um, at the same time 
in some cases. So that was that was fantastic to watch the return of Lever and May in the back line. They were superbly uh, solid. But <clears throat> the other thing I, I noticed with North was they were far more physical. Yeah, and and it, and it was not just physical legally; it was physical illegally as well. There was yeah. a couple couple of times when Petrarca was um, obviously had taken a punch straight to the guts in the middle. Uh, he was down behind play a couple of times because he was being targeted. The the uh, you know the tackle of Taron Thomas on on Langdon was telling. It was just that physical aspect that they brought to the game. Unfortunately, it's going to happen when you've got a, a lack of skill. You've got to come out with something to show show the fans, um, and that's how they came out. But yeah, I was really impressed with the way that uh, our systems just held up so beautifully. The midfield was completely dominant. Um, uh, the forward line um, uh, didn't didn't capitalise on the simple number of balls that the mids were getting into the forward line. But hey, you know, at the end of the day, we still won by forty seven points or whatever. So another win in, in, in the uh, in the bank. Uh, anything else, boys? Before we move on, nothing um, else to mind that we won't cover. I reckon. <laughs> Um, in tonight's uh, tactical talk, George, you wanted to talk about the outside five uh, on the mark rule and how more and more teams are employing this tactic. So you want to take that away? Yeah, it's just a, just an observation from the last couple of weeks. Um, uh, the best exponents of it at the moment are the Bulldogs. Not surprisingly, they seem to be able to exploit rules um, better than any other team. Uh, got them a premiership with their throwing the ball uh, capabilities, but um, they're using it again to to advantage now. The umpires are allowing um, uh, you don't have to stand the mark if you're outside five. Of course, you know that's what the rule says. However, the umpires aren't policing it all that well, and I think the Bulldogs have woken up to that. Um, firstly. They're not five metres away, um, so you can grab a couple of uh, metres there. You're allowed to move, which is the whole basis of staying outside five on the mark. It enables you to go back to what uh, was the standard before, where you limit the opportunities of the of the kicker to be able to move the ball to either side. Once you're standing still, you're completely shot. They they can move it either way. They've got all, all opportunity to move it either way, and you're not going to tackle them in any way, shape, or form. Outside five, you've got a chance of running straight at them with speed. Um, but the other thing is. Um, like the the umpires aren't stopping people moving forward. They, even if they're out at five, the, when when the player starts to move in for the kick, you watch the supposed person on the mark move in closer, and the umpires are not calling at the moment. Like I said, the Bulldogs have realised it. They are almost exclusively staying outside five simply because they've realised that, firstly, it won't be police, but it's also uh, of far greater advantage to them not not to be standing still on the mark. So expect to be uh, a, a lot uh, occurring a lot more in the future. The other teams will pick up on it pretty quickly, I would imagine. Um, I don't know that we are using it uh, to the same extent, and certainly not to the same extent. I think we're much more in your face as a team because our guys are usually up right at the at the contest all the time, so they don't get the opportunity to to move backwards. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how we how we what tactics we employ against Frio this week, um, who tend not to play on and depend on a lot of possession and structure. So. Um, uh, it'll be interesting to see what what tactics we employ against their attacking mode. Um, so one to watch out for this week. It's interesting because I've been noting that a few teams are doing it. As you said, the dogs 
almost looked like a, a couple of weeks ago it was a team rule and the, they were yeah. a couple of times they were caught half in and half, you know, not being able to work out to go forward. And I, it occurred to me that, one, I, I don't see the logic of doing it. I understand part of it because particularly the moving on the mark and, and being able to crib inside the corridor. Um, but essentially you're giving the opposition 15, 10 metres to run into to, to move it forward. And Melbourne don't do it. We, we do it when we, the only time we do it is when we're on the, that's coming from the boundary and sometimes they, they go in the five metres. Um, like the good, really good example last year was in round 23 when um, right at the end of the game, Petrarca elected to, Guthrie was kicking it in and instead of manning the mark, he elected to go five metres back. We do it then in that circumstance. Um, and occasionally when we can't get up to the um, mark or whatever, but as opposed to the dogs, we're almost always up on the mark. And yeah. and I was thinking, it's funny you should um, put this one on the agenda, George, because I was just thinking over the weekend, I just don't understand how why it's useful. And Melbourne don't do it because we want to stop them getting easy kicks down the ground. And if you can balance up and take two or three steps towards the man who's nominally on the mark, who's now five metres in front of you, that's that you can not only balance up and get good distance on your kick, you've got much more options. It's a bit like giving a midfielder an unpressured kick into the forward 50. Uh, Because the other thing too is when you're... One of the things that we've got better at this year is to take the time to take the step back so you're not kicking into the man in the mark. Um, but even that act is more difficult to do if you've got the player come right up on the mark and stand on the mark. What we do, which is interesting, is that it's a real Melbourne thing that I've noticed now other teams have picked up, is the very dramatic keep keep moving forward. In fact, almost the opposite philosophy to what you were talking about then, George, it's keep moving forward to the umpire's stand and then make a big show of pointing towards the spot on the ground that is to stand, which takes another couple of seconds out. But by the time they've done that, they've cribbed a fair way forward. Um, and like it's it, almost a philosophical difference because Melbourne don't want to concede a centimetre turf. Whereas the, like if you multiply that over the number of marks, there are like where are times that the umpire sets a mark in a dog's game, it might be, what, I don't know, 30 times, 40 times. That's Accumulatively, that's a lot of territory you're, you're giving up. Um, Melbourne, how our game is built on making territory, why would you give even five metres up? It's a really interesting. More and more teams are doing it. Um, dogs are taking it to the nth degree. Um, but, yeah, it's a difference, isn't it? Would it be because Melbourne's also got structures um, ahead of the ball that... Um don't don't create the opportunities for players to for the opposition players to be able to to utilize that extra space. But, um, yeah, yeah. I mean that. But, I, I think so. I mean that's part of it. It's 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 really noticeable how different we are to yeah. other teams who yeah. are doing it. And I'd really like to hear what Beveridge, because they're the ones who are most doing it. I'd really like to hear what his logic is because you know they're not so much of a territory team. So maybe philosophically, it's not a. But you know, it is a curious one. But yep. yeah, spot on. Uh, the other thing is half the time they're not five metres. They're close to no. it on the mark and they're moving all over the spot. They yep. seem to have stopped that whole stand thing completely. Their focus is on descent. So, yeah, it's curious, I reckon. Yeah, definitely with the actual stand rule when they're not outside five, there are a lot of times I've seen where players who have the ball go to kick it and the guy who's meant to be standing still has, has already moved before the um, – before the umpires call play on and 
you know, the only ones getting sort of busted for it are the really, really obvious where they move before the players kick the ball. Um, but other than that, yeah, they've forgotten about it. Um, positives. Each week uh, we take a positive and an improvement out of the match or, or from somewhere in the round. And tonight my positive is our strong ladder position. Big man last year you talked about how important it is in banking early wins. Uh, when you look at our fixture, particularly in light of the way that the chips have fallen this year in terms of the form of our opposition, our early fixture is certainly more favourable favorable than our run home. And I'm not suggesting that we've played no one. However, to date, we've only beaten two top eight sides and eight out of, and we've beaten eight out of the 10 bottom eight sides. Are there, or bottom, bottom 10 sides? Um, there are 12 games left. And from here on out, we play seven matches against teams in the top eight. And our remaining games against teams in the bottom eight are against Collingwood times two, Adelaide, Bulldogs, and Port. Three of those matches are either interstate or in Geelong. It's a tough run home. And we'll certainly highlight where we're at. Uh, that's why my positive is our strong ladder position. Two games and a healthy percentage clear. Uh, you know, we've made hay whilst the sun shone. And uh, now we need to turn that hay into some bread, make a meal of the rest of the competition for the rest of the year. That's a tortuous analogy there. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was my best Kelly Underwood. <laughs> <laughs> Pickett did kick a um, a goal from the pocket, so it is yeah. a remarkably strong position. And with Frio going down and Brisbane going down, what's that now? Eight points to second. Now, is anyone going to complain about our percentage? What is it? Twelve percent higher than um, the next nearest? It's near, we're one sixty one, I believe. One forty nine, one forty three. I think. I think even it's nearly. Tw- uh, let's have a look at the ladder. They're one forty three. We're one sixty one. We're nearly twenty percent. Yeah, I, it's yeah. remarkable numbers, isn't it? In terms of at this stage of the season, and yeah, yeah, it was interesting. There was I can't. Sorry, apologies to whoever it was on Demon Land in one of the threads today. <clears throat> noted that of the ninety six games remaining for the teams currently in the eight, nearly half of them are against other teams in the eight uh, to the end of the season. So having games one in the in the one column for us is, is another big positive because the teams beneath us and, and us included right, are, are going to start playing off against each other. Um, so there may well be some moves into the eight from a few of the teams out because teams will knock each other off. But um, in, a, in, a, in one sense, nobody's got an easy run. Uh, for the next uh, 12 games or so. I think think Carlton's got the easiest draw, but they still have to play Melbourne. They still have to play Brisbane. They're playing Frio again. They've got to play Geelong. So they've still got a a tough draw. And, you know, the criticism that – it's probably criticism is too strong a a word, but the sort of commentary that Melbourne hasn't played anyone yet because it's sort of a weird way of – of trying to pot a hole in a way because we've now beaten Tigers who are in the eight uh, and many are, again, back on the Tigers bandwagon and talking about, well, you know, can they push higher? We've beaten the Saints who I, I rate and are in the top four um, and we've beaten the Doggies who are on the march again and, um, you know, were, of course, last year's runners-up. So, you know, it's not... And I rate the Suns pretty highly as well. So, and and there, you know, it could well be that they end up making the eight uh, as well. So, 
you know, I think that if you look at who we've beaten and how we've beaten it, our form stacks up, um, you know, equivalent really to last year. I mean, we beat Geelong Sydney last year and they were both um, ended up being in the eight at this equivalent stage. And then in round 11, it was, we knocked off, was it round 10 or round 11, we knocked off the dogs. So, um, but they were the first top team that we were, you know, challenged by because they were unbeaten at that point too, I think, weren't they? Sorry, who was that? Who Last was year, the, the when dogs. we played the Dogs, both teams were unbeaten, I think, coming no, they No, we lost the week before oh, to sorry, Adelaide yeah, and yeah, they yeah. had lost just yeah, before no, then. Yeah. But it was virtually, we both lost one game and yeah. winner took top spot. Yeah. Isn't that amazing how 2021 is is um, absolutely etched in our memory every single game? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not for, not for Bin Man. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> COVID brain. Uh, what a, yeah, that's COVID right. COVID it's five. been going on for a long time before I caught COVID as well, probably. <laughs> <enough. laughs> um, George, you want to talk about Tom Sparrow? Tom Sparrow, yeah. Bin, one of Bin Man's favourite players. He finally got his name Swallow. right after after a while. <laughs> so, um, yeah, <clears throat> and we, we said this last year, you know, and, and I think it was one of Bin Man's comments, you know, where have you been hiding this guy? Well, he's been hiding in plain sight and he is, he is absolutely slotted beautifully into the midfield. You know, still only, what is he now, 20, 21 maybe at, at the moment. Um, <clears throat> 20 disposals. Um, in this game, 11 kicks, nine marks, six tackles, seven clearances, and yet he only played 70% game time. So we're still holding holding him on the periphery a little bit. Eight contested possessions and five inside 50s. He's a beautiful kick, and he's uh, has built out, I, I think, solidly in his body now that he can take an ever-increasing uh, workload that's necessary as a replacement for... To- for um, for Viney, I think it was um, he's the new grunt man inside. Um, Viney will come back, of course, but uh, we've got the second, the the next one in the wings, ready to replace him in the future. Um, but uh, Tom's creating his own position in the side, uh, ever reliable now. Um, he, some of his efforts, I think. Um, there was a an, an effort towards the end of the game where he's in no position to get to a contest, and yet he threw himself absolutely wholeheartedly um, to spoil uh, and get the ball. I think that I think he got the ball out of bounds, but yeah, he's doing exactly what Goodwin wants the rest of the team to be doing. He's not going anywhere. There's no questions every every week now about whether he'll be in or out of the side. He's just there all the time. But uh, really pleased with his progress, and a real credit to the development that's gone. Uh, in into him and a lot of other players um, uh, who are just as equally young, but uh, we're now creating the next generation of inside mids, um, which is frightening for the opposition. Yeah, I was all. I usually would have panicked had Viney gone out, you know, as a late sort of withdrawal. But with a guy like Sparrow, I've, I've got total confidence that he can go in and um, take over that role. Uh, obviously, I prefer Viney being in the team and have 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 Tom still learning the craft and and being able to slid it slot in when you know others are having a, a break but uh yeah I've got plenty of confidence uh that he can take that that role big man anything oh you're on mute big man he's ferocious at the ball too I just love his competitiveness and his his want for the footy um and he's uh, the other thing too is he's such a neat kick and um, gets great depth off one or two kicks. And in a team as a, that's so focused on on territory, that ability to to launch it 
off one step and get distance um, is is a real a really important feature he's got. But I just love the way he goes about his footy. He's uh, hard hard as a cat's head, is it? <laughs> and he's just he just loves to play footy. It looks like so. Um, him and Jordan are both players that are I think in the similar. They're not exactly the same type of player, obviously, but they could both come under the category of where'd you find him? Because, it, you know, when you get the sort of the glitziness of Cozzy and all of the things and even the hard running of someone like Langdon, you can easily forget the meat and potatoes type of footballers. And, um, yeah, he, he's he's a great counterbalance to Viney, I reckon. You don't lose – you're not, not losing a huge amount when he comes in to replace gives Viney a chop out. No, not at all. Uh, big man, you – we, we I rattled off Clary's stats before from the game. He had a fantastic game. You wanted to to talk about him. Yeah, I, I won't go into massive detail. I just thought, you know, I was just reflecting actually on um, Demon Land. Red Leg had put up a comment, um, you know, basically how good is Oliver and that um, uh, he mentioned that he was so, in terms of this game, he was so far best on ground for us. I'm just reading from Red Legs Post that he may have got all six votes from the umpires and I, for one, would say that wasn't even enough. I've never seen anyone do some of the things he does. We had Robbie's the most skilled player that Red Leg had seen and we now have Clary, the best contested player he's ever seen, who I'm simply in awe of and grateful that he's one of ours. Thank you, Jason Taylor. And it got me thinking is that um, he's arguably the best contested possession player ever already. And and I, and I was reflecting that I, I think that, and we've talked about it a lot, we, we talked about it last year, but under Uze, he's really added something that it's taken his game to another level. And, and it's starting to get to a level, I think, if he maintains it uh, and his, his desire to, to, to win and play suggests that there's no sort of I've got no doubt he will maintain it. Um, it'll put him in not just the discussion about the best ever D's player, but, you know, I know it's a big call, but he's he's starting. He's going to, if he keeps this trajectory, he'll be in the conversation about being one of the all-time greats. Um, I know it's a big call, um, but just some of his numbers are crazy. If you look at, you know, his results in the bluey, he's won three blueys. He won it last year in a premiership um, uh, season. He's um, 24. He's turning 25 in July. Um, he's got to be probably, I'd say, the raging favourite to win it this year. I'm not sure if what you guys think about that. Yeah, um, he'll be first or second, but most likely first. Yeah, so yeah, he's the every real, Sorry, the only real danger is if Petrarca takes points from him. Yeah, exactly, or Gorney or... Hmm. But, you know, the way he's racking up the numbers, he's must be raging favourite to have his fourth, you know... Um, hopefully another premiership and maybe a Norm Smith. Um, and, um, you know, he's made two All-of-Australian teams. He should have made more, really. And he's a lock, you'd reckon, for the next five. So he could end up with six, seven, eight All-Australians on top of, of um, the Bluey. And, and however, you know, he'll probably get a bit more. Uh, he'll do well in the um, Brownlow this year because he seems to have fixed his attitude up a bit. And I reckon there's a lag between... If you're going to fix your attitude, the umpires never have always hated him, I reckon. Mm. Um, but he's much more respectful. He dives less often, and he's in there. He's he's he seems to have been more disciplined um, this year. Um, and the other thing I, I was reflecting on, and I, and I posted about this today, is that um, it's sort of 
my comment about Uze is, he, in a way, you could suggest that Oliver's had an influence in how the game's played. You would have heard David King, I'll talk a bit about later, but talk about these players who are driving from the contest seems to be one of his things that he's banging on about this year. And we talked about that shift last year a lot about Oliver's, you know, we would get 35, 40 possessions, but 20 of them would be those sorts of handballs in the back half or outside of the contest where he would get it out to a runner, but he was still... Um, you know, he, um, you know, Lee Matthews, who I hate um, a lot, but watching him, you know, he was an amazing footballer to watch. Um, and he was most amazing f- for me in terms of his ability to power from the contest, um, particularly the later part of his career when he was really just, he was predominantly a small forward, albeit like a key small power forward. Um, and Dusty's similar in the way his ability to burst from the contest and, and he's, to be honest, Dusty's fairly similar in some style, the way Lee Matthews plays. But, you know, the Matthews, as he got older and they put him in the permanent full um, sort of like forward pocket, half forward flanker, he would just, defenders couldn't go with him in. He would power out of the contest. Um, he wasn't, he did that as a little bit as a mid, but not um, more just strength at the ball. But under Uze, Oliver's taken that Matthews template um, to another level by applying that same power out, out of a contest to every contest he's involved in, you know, as a mid. So he's, you know, the numbers he's getting is, you know, he can get clearances, but it's a bit like, well, there's clearances and there's clearances. And his clearance is he's still winning as many contested balls as he ever had. But now instead of handballing to a receiver, he's driving from that contest, he gets three or four powerful strides in, balances up. And if he doesn't handball to an outside runner who's going past him, um, he drives at 50 um, metres forward easily. And so with the with the run, these two or three running yards, he's suddenly he's got a 60-metre gain from a contest. Um, now, he's not the only one who does that. We talked about Captain Jack just before. He does it as well. But that doing that's fundamental um, to our game plan. And the thing I was reflecting on, is that I think he's been the one who's influencing. Players like Neil now do that much more often, and, and this is what King's been noting. Cripps is doing that much more often. They, the, those powerful midfielders are now expected to get territory and burst from those um, um, clearances, um, and he's he's been uh, doing that. And when I um, he's been doing that now for a season and a half, and it just makes him such a not just a player who gets numbers, but incredibly damaging. And that's the shift he's, he's been in the game. I tried to find uh, FootyWise a really good site for for check it, for looking at comparing players, and it wasn't quite as illuminating as I thought because, like, I compared him to um, um, uh, Neil, who's really the closest thing to Oliver. I'd rate Neil as the sort of closest in terms of his player rankings. He's got some very similar numbers. Um, Neil, and when you match them side by side, um, the uh, Clary's got him slightly in contested possessions, and in fact, the numbers are pretty equal. Um, but I don't think Neil's quite got the same power out of a contest. Uh, I mean, it's a pretty good comparison. We've been blessed with those midfielders. But the other one that really I, I thought about and couldn't find a comparison with, um, who he reminds me a lot of, um, uh, Ollie, is um, Michael Voss. He plays in that way where he's uncontainable um, when he gets going, but he's also got that. The other thing that had occurred to me, the comparison with Michael Voss, is his attitude. He just wants to win games of footy. He wants to win that football, uh, and it doesn't matter what time of the game, doesn't matter when. 
it is Oliver. If you put him between, you know, play between him, he'll go through any play to get to the footy. And that combination of all of those things, and on the addition, he's using the footy much better, and his hands forward to contest are, are elite as they always have been, and the speed at which he he releases it. I just think we're seeing something incredible and arguably the best, one of the greatest D's players, certainly. Um, at the moment, he's second in the league for disposals, first for clearances, second for contested possessions and third for score involvements. Um, it's pretty pretty nice stats. But I think he still is a little underrated in, in the uh, wider AFL community. Uh, commentators, other supporters, I don't think they they rate him amongst, I mean, we're talking that he could be amongst one of the greats of the AFL and I really don't think he's getting that respect that, that that's where he's headed towards. Well, uh, I think he'll get there. there. He'll, he'll I, get I there. think, I don't know, I think. But <laughs> but, he, but you know what I mean in terms of how he's changed in the time where yep. you know, even he's been at the club and I give Uze a lot of credit for that. But that it's now... Like you know, people are talking about this power style, and but they often talk about Petrarca. That's they're not talking about Oliver. He's every bit as powerful out of a contest as Petrarca, uh, and he's got more of a hunt for the ball than Petrarca. Almost. I mean, I'm not, I'm not in any way suggesting Petrarca's not also a star, but it's he's the one that that you know, it's actually him, not Petrarca, that the Neils and the Crips are basing their game on. So, George, you were you wanted to yeah. I think I think uh, you've hit the nail on the head there. The, because we've got a guy like Petrarca playing alongside him, um, it, it takes away a little bit of the focus when you when you go to you know Carlton, for example. You notice Cripps because he's basically the the solitary um, uh, um, power mid in there. But we've got two of them. Yeah, well, um, Walsh is not bad, but yeah, yeah he's not bad, but he's he's, he's not the same power. Like no, not one. the same power. Not that yeah. that's right. Yeah, yeah. But the the other thing that uh, really struck me in this game with um, with Oliver was quite often and on a number of occasions he was in a position, in particularly in the middle, where he had absolutely no right to get the ball. Absolutely no right at all. He'd be up against two or three North Melbourne players, and you sort of look at it and you go, oh, "Yeah, sure, they're going to get it out. They've got more numbers around the ball." And how he did it, I do not know. You could sit and watch it again and again. He just gets the ball out where mm. others are incapable of doing it. And then he manages to get it onto his foot. Is this the, yeah. the, 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 uh, the big change that's occurred in the last 18 months or so with him? He just, he is so powerful. He, he can get the kick away. Um, to advantage the team. Whereas before it might have been a handball and further contest had occurred. Now, now with his power inside, um, it's creating so many more opportunities up the field. But like I said, he had no right to get the ball on a number of those occasions and he's just devastating. And I thought after the game, you know, he might have got 40 possessions and Mitchell at Hawthorne got 39 or something. And I know which player I'd prefer to have playing in the middle for us out of those two. One's all numbers and the other's all results. Yeah, and the other thing that, whether it's Uze, I mean, I've no doubt that Uze is a factor in this, but the fact that he's getting forward of the contest and he is getting some space before he's releasing it, so he's kicking more, is that 
the other thing that he's brought to his game, he was always a pretty good kick, but because he wasn't kicking from in front of the contest, he was often kicking from behind it, which means dinky kicks or lateral or you can't really sink your, your uh, foot into it, is how smart he is. Uh, he's still got a bit of a technical thing with his kicking. Is he skies it a bit, but he's got the natural skill of a footballer who can put it into the right space for someone to move on to. Um, and so that combination of the metres gains that he's now getting is really the value add that we get from that is his, he gets depth on his kick, so 50, 60 metres, no problems, and that it's pretty well positioned in where it, um, you know, where he's putting it. Um, he's And he's such a clever player. Like part of what you're saying, George, is that ability to get the ball is the other thing that it's sort of, because he's so powerful, is that I, when I, I forget what part of the game, but there was a moment where he got the ball because he read where it was going. It wasn't just, I'm going to go get the footy and be the most powerful person in this and want it more than anyone else coming close to it. Because it, it, he does, does something similar, he went to where the footy was going to go and so was ahead of the contest slightly from the, the other player. So he was already at the ball before he's a direct opponent had reacted to that's where it's going. And again, that just shows to me he's, he's got all of the stuff that I just talked about. Plus he's got really super high footy IQ. Um, so he's the complete package really. Maybe he can't kick left foot so well. <laughs> 45 possessions is just insane. Um, most disposals for the D's. Uh, Greg Wells had 48 uh, in 1980. Um uh, Oliver's had the 45. Greg Wills also had 45 possessions in 73. Oliver had uh, 44 in 2019. And Travis Johnston in 2007 had 42. It's very rare that we see players get in that 40s. And you've got to remember that Greg Wells and even Travis Johnson probably played when there were 25 minutes plus time on quarters. So they've had, you know, what, five five uh, 20 minutes extra to get to rack up those possessions uh, over Oliver. And then you look at like, you know, I always thought 30 possessions is a lot and that's what Petrarca got, but uh, it's like peanuts compared to what uh, <laughs> what, what uh, Clary got. It's just insane. And the other thing, like in terms of damage, if you talk about players who damage, I mean, you mentioned Mitchell, George, you know, but even I, I think, well, Bontempelli is probably the other one, obviously, it goes without saying. But so, you know, the top four, if you leave track out of the, uh, uh, out of the conversation, top four, um, mids apart from apart from track uh, Oliver Bontempelli Neil and Cripps I reckon mm. um, and um, Bontempelli averages four point eight inside fifties Lockie Neil five Patrick Quick um, uh, Cripps also five which is great that's terrific you're getting really good value out of your um, power forwards Clayton Oliver averages six point six inside fifties you know that's in statistically, that's quite a big margin over a you know a season where he's getting against the other sort of comparable um, elite midfielders who are power players like him. He's getting almost two more inside fifty kicks a game. I mean that's that's quite incredible. If uh, like particularly if you compare it to the uh, Crips, because Carlton are getting a lot more um, center clearances than us from inside fifty. So presumably Crips getting a fair chunk of them. Right, we'll end our uh, Clayton Oliver love fest uh, there. I'm sure we'll be talking about him a lot more this season. Um, he's just fantastic to watch. Uh, hands down the best um, Melbourne Football Club player I think I've ever ever seen play. Better than Petrarca. 
<laughs> Better oh, than Max Gorn. Better <laughs> than Robbie Flower. Both. <laughs> um, well, he's got a premiership, so that... Uh... <laughs> well, that knocks out Robbie. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go to improvements. I don't know how much discussion we need to do on this because I bring it up uh, every a lot. Uh, I don't know how many times I've brought it up in the six years that I've been doing this podcast and I don't think I've ever seen an improvement to this aspect of our game. That's our kicking for goal. It's just woeful. Set shots in particular have been very poor. Uh, I, I always say it's going to cost us a match. I don't know how many matches it's probably cost us. Not as many as I, as I probably think it not does. Not many in the last 17, that's for sure. Definitely not in the last 17, considering our recent record it hasn't cost us a game. But it's certainly, it definitely costs percentage. Uh, but as you said, what's percentage at the moment when you're winning, uh, your percentage doesn't matter. Uh, but it's one aspect of our game that I really think needs to be addressed. I don't know how you do it, um, but it, it isn't, you know, tr- track is, is a, you know, probably the worst culprit uh, out there at the moment, uh, as good as he is. Um, but, yeah, it's – I don't know. I don't know if there's much need to discuss anything there. Unless do any of you, do you think the problem is more the non-forwards? Uh, look, I, it's not Tom McDonald. I think Tom McDonald's a very yeah. good uh, kick for goal. He's a very good set shot. Yeah. Uh, ben Brown uh, missed an easy one this week, didn't get, he didn't get many chances, but he's usually a very good set shot. Uh, Wiedemann, well, when he gets the ball, he's a 50-50. But, yeah, it's probably it's probably more so. Um, it's Petrarca, I reckon. I blame him for it. He's terrible. Well, Nibbler misses a lot of set shots, I've noticed. Um, His first one, though, on the weekend for the season. Yeah. Let him Max, get around in, though. Max missed a couple. Miss, yeah. Max missed, but uh, we don't sort of expect Max to kick them. But uh, he has been kicking them of late. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it is frustrating. It's frustrating. Yeah. I mean, particularly, you know, uh, look, percentage is not a big deal, but we could have won that game by a lot more. Uh, yeah. Maybe I would have been a little <laughs> bit happier. I don't know. 18% happier. clear of the second team who's <laughs> on percentage. Percentage isn't really an issue. Yeah, but that. I want to be 40% clear. Yeah. I can't be that. <laughs> that little bit extra buffer. <laughs> uh, George, uh, you were disappointed with the crowd. Are you disappointed with – the North supporters, or are you disappointed that Melbourne supporters didn't rock up? Well, I had COVID, George. Sorry, mate. Uh, well, forgive you, uh, Bin Man. You had an excuse at least. Um, look, I, th- I think this is a problem for the AFL across the board. Definitely. Um, at uh, uh, playing games at four thirty-five on a set on a, in the after on a cold afternoon at Marvel Stadium is an encouragement to get anybody there at the best of times. Um, but honestly, when you get 13,000 people turning up to a game, uh, and quite honestly, watching the people coming into the ground, if it wasn't at least five to one Melbourne supporters and more likely 10 to one Melbourne supporters, uh, I would be very surprised. You know, for North this week, this was a home game for them. <clears throat> they had 13,000 people turn up. Certainly the majority of those were the opposition. Last week, um, when they played they had, in Tasmania, they had 5,000 turn up to the game. And again, another home game. They're going to be in serious troubles when the home games <clears throat> in progressive in successive weeks don't even get 20,000 people turning up. Um, but you look at the other games uh, in the round as well, GWS and West Coast, 5,000 people turned up last week or the week before, GWS versus Gold Coast, 4,000 people turn up. Hawthorne played Brisbane this week, 
um, in Tassie, 12,000 turn up. West Coast, when they played us um, over in the West with, you know, sold out stadiums, have 27,000 people turned up. The Bulldogs and the Suns at Ballarat, 6,000 turn up. These are stadiums that have got empty seats. It's not because there's a limit on the on the numbers of people who can go into them. I think the AFL's got some serious uh, serious concerns about the attractiveness of the game, um, the way it's being presented at the moment. Um, I certainly don't think that all the pre, post and during the game entertainment does anything whatsoever for the whole spectacle and probably drives a lot of people away, quite frankly. But I think also people have become used to um, uh, the comforts of their own home and the comforts of the television coverage, particularly when you've got KO, which is uh, now a lot cheaper than what Foxtel ever used to be. Um, staying at home is, is becoming a, a, a reasonable um, sort of op- option for people, so they're going to have to work very hard to get people back. Uh, I don't know how they're going to do it, though. Yeah, I think, as I said a few weeks ago, I, I reckon that, you know, the marquee games is another thing. People turn out for the big marquee games and that will happen, but even those numbers are slightly down. I, I, I personally think that that's just is, there's been a change. Just like, as I said a few weeks back, people now three days in the office is the sort of standard, I reckon. Lower footy crowds is also the standard. I think that's, you know, there's once you, people change habits, it's hard to get them to change them back, I reckon. How many people do you think are going to come to Melbourne Frio this week at 4.35pm? And is there a better time slot for that to attract more people? I would... It's a good question. That's a bad time. Mm. I, th- I think I, we'd we be get, lucky to get twenty five thousand, wouldn't we? Yeah, I, I would have said if we get twenty thousand to that, it would yeah. be a good result, given yeah. what's happening at other games. Well, given it's a a, a um, interstate team with yeah. no real probably no. following here, unlike I can't remember. Oh, Brisbane, <laughs> no, or, Adelaide Brisbane or, or Sydney. Yeah, or Brisbane or Sydney. A- yeah, that's a good. That, that's a really good. Like there was the Brisbane um, game. The, uh, sorry, the Sydney Carlton game. It yeah. sounded like there were quite a few Swans fans in there, and that game got forty thousand. Yeah, Carlton supporters are up and about. They'll, they'll yeah, get the yeah, and of Sydney, um, but we don't yeah. have. There's no rump of Frio fans here. No, um, in Melbourne. So, so yeah, would I, there have been a better time? Well, of course, but obviously, yeah, it's a funny. It is a funny time, isn't it, for that one? What time is that in Perth? Is that coming into there? Well, that's two two p.m. two thirty. Right, that's well, not such a great time over there either. So yeah, to given it's. Given they, it's arguably you know four, two of the top six teams. Or well, when they fixtured it, it was two top four teams, uh, first yeah. and third. When they fixtured it, yeah, it is a. It and is they really a, shunted it. Time. I mean, I'm happy personally. I don't mind that time. I'd rather that time than a night game because, like, uh, you know, by the time those night games finish, you're home well after midnight or whatever. So I don't mind that. But um, you're right. It's a bit of a curious. It's a dead time, isn't it? Mm. Midnight, how far away from the ground? Well, the game finishes at 10.30. You've got to get on the train. I know that you get your helicopter home, but, you know, I've got to walk into town, get on a train, and then walk from the train station down here. So I know Jeeves come and get you from uh, from outside gate one and then spirits you home to your chateau, but... I wish. Um, uh well, now we'll go on to uh, you, Bin Man. You want to talk about uh, David King? 
So now I'm going to take this opportunity to vent. I've been very good all season. I'm trying not to, I've been phlegmatic and accepting the uh, lot of the commentary and, and I, and I fully understand the criticism that I, I um, opening myself up for saying, if you, if he drives you nuts, what are you doing listening to him? But it's a bit like trolling. Why do you respond to a troll on Demon Land? Or why do you, you know, it's like I can't look away sometimes. Um, and so I've been trying try not to get too annoyed by him this year. Um, but I finally succumbed this afternoon listening to a recording of um, that thing he does um, uh, on the means test, or David King's means test on SEN today. Um and he's all over the shop. I mean, apart from the fact that last year he was predicting the dogs are going to have a dynasty um, because of their forward line, it's hard to see them not being the most powerful team for the next four or five years was his comment last year on the back of um, Oogle Hagen to kind of even get a game in that team. Um, and they're all powerful, all seeing Norton. Um, well, not only hasn't there been a dynasty, they're probably not going to make the eight the very next year after he said it. So... He backed Essendon in and he's got complete egg all over him, uh, his face. Um, but what really drove me um, uh, nuts tonight was, and this is what set me off on the train, fuming listening to it, was this is a fella paid to do his job, um, paid to analyse football. Um, and he was, of course, pumping up the tyres of Voss and um, how brilliant the Blues are going and doesn't everyone love the Blues and, um, you know, <laughs> even my dog Blues. <laughs> um, so there you go. Is, he was pumping Voss's tyres up and he says to, to Jared Waitley, you know what there should be? There should be a, a Coach of the Year award. Uh, and if it was, Voss would win it. And Waitley, to his great credit, says, well, there is a Coaches of the Year award. He said, well, Voss should get it. He said, well, you can't give it now. It's only round 10. He said, well, have a Coach of the Month. And he said, well, even if there is a Coaches award, it always goes to the Premiership coach. And Waitley says, well, no, actually, it's hardly ever gone to the Premiership coach. It's usually the one who's made the most improvement during the year. So last year, I forget who, who won it last year. Um, uh, Simon Goodwin did win it last year. Did he? Well, and then David King says something like, right, okay, I didn't didn't know that, um, which is all fine. No worries. And the, the fact that you didn't know there's an AFL Coaches Award, no props. It doesn't matter that you've been in the game for God knows how long. But then he says... Who would you the ranking and who does he have number one? Voss. This is the these top three coaches in the AFL at this point in time. We're we're ten zip. We're too clear of the second team. Who does he have second? Not Goodwin. Longmire, Longmuir, and he sneaks Goodwin in at third as coach of the year. I mean, where is this guy's head at? Now, the other thing that really burnt my bacon from his thing today was Carlton to- haven't even beaten. Who have they beaten? They've beaten no one. Have they beat, beaten? I mean, they beat no one. And the Swans got, in the top five this week, but in the top. Yeah, eight and this I don't week. rate the Swans. But that's it. So they, they haven't beaten, beaten anyone else in the top eight. They beat Richmond uh, early in the year when Richmond weren't. Who aren't in the top eight now? Yeah. Now he's got this thing where he is again um, Frio and has been all all year, and he's super pro Lions, and he has been all year, um, and so he doesn't rate um, um, Frio uh, and. In talking about that game, 
he said they've got a big problem. Like, didn't raise any of the issues that it was wet or that they had 20 more contested possessions or that the numbers actually looked all right. Um, but he talked about the, the, the issue that they faced. Um, fine, no worries. But then he talked about the Brisbane game and said he gave them a complete free pass. The question was, well, how did you rate Brisbane's loss? Um, and he said, well, you know, it's one, no worries. It's a free get. You know, they're going to lose some during the season. If you were going to lose some and looked at the um, uh, thing beforehand, you would think playing Dan and Tassie would be the one they, they lost. No problems at all. Just normal reset. The messaging's fine. But I think quite the contrary. Um, in fact, that was a really, really bad loss on a number of levels by the lines. And I can't believe, leaving aside my angst with David King, I can't actually believe they've not copped more for it, um, Brisbane. One thing they're going to, that may well be the difference between them finishing top two. If they don't finish top two, they're travelling and they're going to travel to either Melbourne, you know, possibly Melbourne or, or Perth. So it's a massive, massive game, a bad loss, a game they should have won. But the biggest problem, and I can't believe King didn't point this out, he said there's no problems at all from Brisbane. Huge problem. They gave up 117 points. And that's because if you look at the way the Hawks play, they played like they tried to play against us. They played all of that stuff that I was talking about post that game, diagonally trying to get through the corridor, moving it quickly, but moving it forward at the same time, not wasting kicks laterally and and allowing um, Brisbane set up ahead of the ball. And they carved Brisbane up. It was a super entertaining game to watch and I really enjoyed it. But I actually came away way, way more worried about where Brisbane's heading than Frio. Frio I'll get to in terms of when we talk about um, next week's game. But it was a wet, sodden game where they just physically got smashed by a stronger team. Brisbane are playing on a perfect deck down in Frio against an up-and-coming team, but no top eight certainty. Uh, and they got picked apart. Their defence was beyond problematic. So I, I'm really surprised that King's given them a pass. But so leaving aside Manx with him, I actually puts a big question mark for me over um, Brisbane's um, um, bona fides in terms of being a competitive team against us. Sure, you lose matches, and he made that point. Everyone, Every team loses matches, and um, that's true, but it's the manner in which they lost because the ferocity was up, the contested possession numbers were high. It's that they just could not stop um, Hawthorne scoring. Uh, it was, a, I thought, a really big alarm bells went off for, for me. But getting back to David King, uh, it's the last time I'll mention him all season. Well, I bet you won't. But uh, <laughs> he's because I reckon when we have a loss, his knives will come out for us. You you watch. He'll he'll um, he he won't give us a pass. I bet you if we lose, he he'll oh. uh, he'll find something to say we're we're cooked. And one of the other narratives he's been pushing, which really actually frustrates me no end, is he's talking about Melbourne travelling in first gear and only flipping the switch for a little while when we need it. And I've heard a number of commentators saying, and then again, I think it just shows a complete lack of understanding in the way we play. And again, North Melbourne, Goody, you just got to listen to what Goody says. Is Melbourne's got this model now. Is in fact, we're responsive to the opposition. And so if they lift their rating then we respond to what they're doing. And North Melbourne, for a period in that game, as you guys have seen, it would have been frustrating watching. They look to control the footy moving at left and right. We are happy to allow the opposition to do that. If they're not moving the ball down the field, they can do that to the cows come home. 
That doesn't mean we're not attacking. It doesn't mean we're disrespecting the opposition. It doesn't mean that we haven't got the foot in their throat. It means that we are responding to what the opposition are doing rather than looking to be the alpha dog imposing ourselves the whole way through the match. Um, they can't score from the halfback flank. So they can spend five, six minutes bouncing it back and forward all they like. It's not going to bother Melbourne. Uh, and I want some commentators to start noting that rather than just going, Melbourne didn't have their pedal to the metal from the moment the ball was bounced right to the match. It just seems like, you know, that's pretty obvious the way we play. Commentators should be noting at this point of the, to the journey. They had 55 more marks than us, and that was because they were just shipping around there, they're getting five metres, ten metres. Exactly, and that's what we did a lot under Ruse because Ruse was clear is that you don't want to get smashed by 100 points. You don't want to go into a match. It's no good for anyone, for particularly a team like North, but at Melbourne when Ruse came on board. We're in similar position as we talked about last week. You cannot manage multiple 100-point losses in a season. It destroys football clubs so if you're gonna the best way to do that against melbourne is to be fierce all the way through and the second best is to combine ferocity with holding on to the footy and you're exactly right they had heaps of uncontested possessions but we allowed them to not because it was some failing on our part but because that's the way we play footy Um, and someone like david king should be making that point that's what we're doing. We're showing the opposition respect, which is what Goody always talks about. We we respond to what they throw at us. I get the feeling maybe he's not such a great commentator. <laughs> <laughs> Probably doesn't quite fit under improvements, but uh, I just need it. It's either that or go crazy. So sorry, Demon Landers. I well, sometimes it doesn't have to necessarily be an improvement from our game. My health um, has improved. How's that? Including positives because, you know, there's going to be times when we have a stinker of a game and there's not going to be many, many or any positives coming out of the game. So, yes, we have some latitude on what we can talk about. Uh, let's. There was no Casey game this week, so let's get straight into the ins and outs. We haven't. Oh well, when I wrote these notes today, we ha- hadn't seen an injury report. We have had the injury report come in um, this week, and the club in, in regards to um, in regards to Ed Langdon, the club claims that there is no uh, internal damage. However, there is uh, some damage to the ribs. Uh, apparently, he was out on the training track today. I doubt that he was involved in any contact work, as I mentioned before. They said. He's got every chance to play. I, I don't think he's going to play this this week. Um, I'll get your thoughts in a minute. They didn't mention anything about Tom McDonald, who did uh, finish the match on on the bench. Um, and at the time I wrote this, we didn't know the severity of Jack Viney's hamstring, uh, which ruled him out of the match against the Kangaroos. The official line at the time was hamstring awareness, which they're saying now. Uh, he is back training. Um and they'll sort of assess where he's at. So he's no certainty to play this week either. Um, uh, where uh, uh, well, the other news that they said today was that Salem's still not. I thought maybe he'd be back, not necessarily playing seniors this week, but it seems like he's still another week or, or so away from playing. But Hibbard is back training. Um, but whether the, I'm sure he'll have to play in the twos before he comes back. Um, what changes, guys, do you think we'll make? Uh, maybe, George, I'll start with you. And and in particular, I don't think Langdon's going to play, so how do we cover that? He's been such a crucial part of, of our team and the way we play 
So uh, how are we going to cover that one? Yeah, I've, <clears throat> I've really got the the choice ones this week, and I don't know that people should listen to what our, our predictions are, <laughs> given our performance in the last couple of weeks. But anyhow, yeah, I, I doubt very much whether Langdon will play. Um, <clears throat> if you're trying to read between the lines, he's got a broken rib. Um, yeah. uh, <laughs> there is no cure for that effectively. You can strap it up, but it, it's not, not like something you... Um, uh, like other injuries, where you repair and 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 uh, uh, try and try and physically get it better, it just has to be left. It will get better of its own accord, and in fact, it won't get any worse. But you know what? What will happen? He'll get targeted. He might, um, uh, as other players have done in the past, strap it up to a certain extent to give it some protection. But it's not going to affect the way he's played. But I doubt that he'll play. There's no point in in uh, risking a player who's so critical to our um, uh, ability to move the ball from one end of the ground to the other and, and the amount of pressure that he provides. <laughs> that that creates the next big question. Um, <clears throat> what do we do without uh, Ed on the wing? Um, quite frankly, Melcher was a complete disaster. Um, yeah, he can't uh, play there. He, he can't play there. He had seven, seven possessions in total. Um, uh, while he kicked a goal, it was a typical Melcham goal. Don't do any work. Look at somebody else to do the work, and I'll kick it for you. Um, <clears throat> but the um, it was a nice goal. Real, <laughs> it was a nice goal. Yeah, it's it's a standard Melcham goal. It's absolutely standard. Yeah, but when you compare it to what uh, James Jordan was doing on the other wing, um, you know, it was quite in, you know chalk and cheese. So who who do we who do we put in that role? Well, um, Oscar Baker can run. Uh, almost the same amounts as Ed Langdon, but he's a horrible kick, quite frankly. Um, and I don't know that he's ready ready to to fill the gap. Um, I, I really don't know who who we're going to use in in that role. Um, it's going to be very very difficult. The question is just as equally going to be about does Viney come back in this week? Um, uh, I, I don't know. Again, it depends on the injury situation. Um, Bedford did more than enough um, to keep his spot in the side. I thought um, Dunstan's not a Viney, or or uh, but he's I think still did more than enough in the middle, and we certainly do need those inside grunt players. Um, does Harms come back? Probably not no, at this he's stage. Not yet. He's two, um, three weeks away, I think. Yeah. So um, so uh, Bedford, uh, sorry. Um, Dunstan, I suspect, is going to stay in, but the real question is about what do we do on the wing? Um, yeah, I, I just don't know. I just, I really don't know what we're going to do there. Um, uh, I mean, if we had Salem or Hibbard, I guess you can put them back and then yeah. play Gus on a wing exactly. yeah, and try and exactly, get that yeah. same similar yeah. role he knows. You yeah. could just, there's no, I mean, you can move Gus back and you've got, yeah, halfback flanker, so there's not. I mean, Gus would presumably go back to the wing, won't he, to play that role, and then you just need like to slot in a halfback flanker. Mm. Well, who's the halfback flanker? Is so the you, question. Well, you, bring, you could move. You could you bring Tomlinson back. You could. You could bring Jordan back to the halfback flank and bring in a Baker for the wing for yeah. that position, yeah. and they might do that because it did occur to me last week. Someone put on Demon Land, and I thought it was a real. I think Mo sixty four. It was a really good comment, actually, that if you. You know that that whole notion that they mirror at Casey and they they've got players who are designated. So from that logic, in fact, 
uh, Bedford probably, you know, Melksham arguably was the closer player to a Harms in the in the sense that he can play high half forward, play some minutes in the middle. Um, maybe he's the one. And, you know, if you're looking at a winger, then... But Baker, having said that, Baker's gone to the halfback flank. He's not playing wing at Casey at the moment. So, um, you know, it's... An interesting is that Baker? Way. Is that Baker or Rosman? Because Ro- Baker, Rosman's, Rosman's gone back too. But Baker, defensive. well, Baker was on the halfback flank last year. Maybe he's gone back to the wing this year. He's been doing a fair bit of wing work yeah. in the wing, yeah. But he's he's he just hasn't got the finishing capabilities that we that we need. I don't know that they want to. It, no, look, I, I just I know he's got he's got fantastic running ability. He's got the ability to get the ball. He goes to the right spots. Um, his his delivery is just awful at times. Yeah, I mean, I guess maybe given they might be, you might be right, they might be loath to move Gus. I think uh, probably um, just leaving is Langer's probably will play because unless unless he's really injured, I mean, he's injured, but unless they think it's going to make it worse, the history's been playing through injuries. So he trained today, apparently, I read on I, Demon Land. So. There was a 10 seconds uh, uh, shot on uh, Channel 9 News tonight. He didn't look like he was at training. I think that was about the limit of it. Right. Okay. He was so just that, smiling and smiling and talking to others, as in I'm not in hospital, guys. But um, yeah, uh, wasn't him out out on the track kicking the ball around. But yeah, it might be. I mean, it might be make it might be more prudent given given how influential Gus has been on the halfback flank. You're probably robbing Peter to pay Paul, and maybe Baker is the obvious one to come in. Um, you know, he'll. He's not Langdon, and he's not as fit as Langdon, but he'll give you a run. And you know, he um, on that boundary line thing really. Yeah, all he has to do is um, perfect the Langdon kick across the body from about fifty meters in towards the corridor that he does. That's really oh. the the Langdon special. So, I was just bringing up the uh, Melbourne uh, injury report. Yeah. So yeah, be uh, yeah. I mean, Gus, they, they would be loath to move Gus from the halfback flank without Salem there because he's been such a steadying influence in a big game. Um, you need some kilometres, I guess, if you're going to replace. That's probably the other question, who can run the sort of kilometres. Um, so Jordan can probably. Um, Bedford probably is not a natural winger, is he? But he's got a good tank apparently. So, um, you know, it'll be, it will be interesting to see what they do. It's, um, you know, Gus to the wing would be the other one, but maybe that would be robbing a bit uh, of Peter to pay Paul. And I'm not going to make any predictions this week anyway. <laughs> All right, well, then we'll move on. Um, uh, B-Man, you kept a close eye on the Dockers match against Collingwood, which saw the Magpies upset the Dockers on their home turf by six goals. This is the Dockers' second loss on the trot after an impressive start to the season. Uh, they had been touted by many as a contender for our own crown, particularly because they appear to have copied our style of play. What can we expect from the Dockers when they travel across the Nullarbor this week? This is a huge game for um, for Frio and for us. Uh, I mean, they're a legitimate contender. Um, they're definitely a top four chance. The shine has come off in the last couple of weeks, but a couple of really important caveats on both games, and I watch both games, is that um, or two caveats. The first one is that both games were in atrocious conditions. Um, both games were um, wet and slippery, but particularly the one in Perth, the ground was in terrible condition. Um, and to be honest, I don't think Frio adjusted very well on either game to the conditions. 
Um, they play very. They've got a lot of similarities to us, and and they're thrown up in the in the numbers, um, which is what you know people have compared them to us in terms of their um, systems. Though the major um, sort of similarity to us is the way they defend and that all team defense and that that um, the buy in from all of their players and sort of reflecting that all team defense. They're they're um, ranked first in least opponents inside 50s per game, which is a bit different to us because we allow the, the ball inside and they keep it out. So they, they set up a bit higher to, to, to prevent that. Um, they're ranked first in least opponent goal assists per game, which I thought um, was interesting because it really shows how hard they work outside the contest to, to, to cut off that, to pressure the ball carrier. Most of those goal assists, uh, um, well, a big proportion of them are when a player is unpressured and they're able to kick into a forward line. Um, you know, a player like McRae with no pressure will hit up a, a Norton, for instance. They're ranked... Um, um, fifth in handballs per game, so their high handball team, which has been was one of the things that they didn't adjust in the last couple of weeks. They're ranked third in tackles, which which talks to their pressure, similar to us sorts of numbers to us. An interesting one I think is really important is they're ranked fifth in hitouts per game, and um, Darcy is a, um, an excellent young player, and it gives them you know an advantage like we get an advantage. Um, the uh, fourth in the least opponent kicks per game. Um, that you know, in terms of the way they force play teams to sort of get to handle it around um, as well. Um, and I guess the big one is the second least opponent points per game, which which points to how effective they are um, uh, in terms of their defensive strength. They're, there are some significant difference to to the way they play and the way we play. One of which is they switch the ball a lot more. Um, they have um, a really high number of uh, handballs compared to us. Um, they're um, you know they, they they struggle to um, rebound from fifty, whether that's a game plan or it's just a weakness. Um, they do so. They're 18th in rebounds, uh, 50s per game. I'm, I'm actually sure where we are on that stat, but I'm pretty confident we're a lot higher than that. Um, but in particular, their big difference to us is their, um, you know, they control the ball with hands and they're prepared to move it laterally. Whereas we, as we've talked about a lot, we. When in doubt, we go forward. We will, of course, go lateral, but if you look at it, we're looking lateral on the diagonal, whereas they're prepared to go lateral straight across the ground. They really look to make the ground big um, and stretch opposition defences, and and that's the way they get around them. Um, but that's, that is quite a um, significant difference to us, and I think that that was a big factor in these last two losses is that they broke down... Collingwood in particular, but Port as well, is their ferocity at the contest really broke down those handball chains. And we've seen that that impact even against a really high-quality handball team like the Dogs. Under finals-like intense pressure, it breaks down. Um, the other thing that was really you know disappointing from a Frio perspective is... Um, Collingwood's physical pressure, physical. They they won the um, um, contested um, possession count Frio by twenty in this match. So it wasn't like that they didn't come to play, but um, uh, Collingwood smashed them in a ground ball gets, and their small forwards went to work. Um, and I thought that was an interesting parallel to the way we play because small forwards are, are where we struggle. Partly because I was thinking that through a bit is that the strength of our defensive system is similar to theirs is they get across and help out a lot and zone off. And that's super effective against talls, but it's much less effective, obviously, when the ball hits the ground. So Collingwood have got Ginevan and they've got um, 
Uh, you know, a number of really good um, small mediums who will hurt most teams, but keeping in mind it was wet as well. So the ball was hitting the deck a lot um, and they were blown off the park by their forward, um, their small forwards. Um, similar problem for us. The other, um, so that concern for them was a bit like the pressure that they dialed up. They still met them with contested pressure, but they weren't able to get through. They weren't able to transition the ball at all against the um, Pies. The Pies had that game by the throat and they could never get any flow. Now, the wet weather didn't help and it didn't help the previous week. Um, but the other thing that had sort of occurred to me is whilst they're, they're definitely on the up and I, and I rate them um, highly, two wet games, I wouldn't be, you know, I wouldn't definitely be jumping off them. But the other big gap, so, you know, comparing Melbourne and them, is that they're um, following and they've got Sean Darcy, who's a uh, rate super highly, but their midfield is uh, Will Brody, um, Caleb Sarong. Mundy's a champion, but he's, you know, he's the wrong side of 30. Um, they've got Banford and Collier, uh, Michael Waters and Rory Lobb and Schultz on the half forward line. Um, and a bloke called Brayshaw as well. And, and Brayshaw. But, you know, you don't, you can't, there's no comparison to us, is there? So, like, that's, that's not a bad midfield. It's okay, um, but it's no comparison to us. And Darcy's a good ruckman too, but he's, you know, we've... So, I guess all of that is to saying is that I definitely rate them. I'm really looking forward to this match. The way our two teams batch up will be really interesting. I'll be really curious to see how aggressive um, uh, Frio are. They'll look to really spread us on the, at the G, which works against a lot of teams, and that's why they do it. But our strength is our ability to get our defensive zone across. Um, then, you know, the physical nature of it is the other thing that I came away from that Collingwood game is that Melbourne will be every inch at the contest and physical as Collingwood were. Um, and it really puts a big question mark for me over, you know, their capacity for those big games. I mean, I think that they're on the way up, but it, the bigger thing for me, I think, and also my, my sort of big question mark over Brisbane, who are bigger question marks than I do over Frio, is if they're the two contenders, there's a big gap between us and those two contenders. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how they play. They've got they've got one of those situations where they will have been pounded over there in, um, you know, over in Western Australia because they're the great white hope over there. Um, a lot of fans would have got ahead of themselves. They're now playing the real contenders this week. So uh, it's a genuine should-be um, game of the round. It, you're totally right, Andy. 4.35 is like talk about bearing the lead. Um, I'll be really curious to see um, how they go about trying to stretch us and what sort of tactical work they put into us. It'll be interesting to see who they elect to, to tag. If they tag, um, um, they, they may not at all. Um, I, the, the biggest concern I would have from a general perspective from Frio is uh, actually their ability to put a big enough score on. So going back to that thing, you just got to score 75 points minimum to, against Melbourne because even if you have a just a brilliant day defensively on a good day at the G, you're, you're, you're going to do pretty well to keep us under 75 points. So 75 points there. And the question is, have they got the capacity to score more than 75 points? Um, that would be the big question mark on them. Just on the odds for this game there, um, if they're the contenders, one of the contenders, um, they're, we're $1.22 to, to win this game of footy. Uh, last year, by way of comparison, to come into the first round when we played Frio in round one last year, we were a dollar seventy-five and they were two bucks. 
So um, it just shows, you know, they're a team that's rated pretty highly. They're third favourite for the flag, and yet we're starting this game of footy against them on Saturday at Dole 22, which is, you know, shorter than what it was for a Labor victory on Saturday. It's going to be a, a ripper of a game. I, I think the midfield's going to be critical with um, uh, Darcy and Lobb versus Jackson and Gorn. And then when you've got Petrarca and Oliver and Brayshaw all in the same centre square as well, it's going to be a great contest. But um, I think uh, uh, the game against Collingwood is not going to put them in a good good spot simply because it was so wet and so slogging. Yeah, um, was I think it will drain them um, when you're coming up against the top side in the competition. I think they'll see, see the uh, after effects this week. I totally agree. And again, it's such an underrated part of footy is they'll coming off the game against the Suns in the humidity and all of the things that we struggled the week after playing the Suns. They struggled. They looked flat in that game against Collingwood. They never got the conditions didn't help, but you're totally right. So it's not just one week. They've, they've gone to Brisbane. They've had to fly back over the country. They've played a hugely sapping game against Brisbane only to come up against the um, pies in red-hot physical form in, a, as you say, the wet, slogging conditions. That's two hard weeks in a row. They're now they've got to fly back over the other side of the country to play the reigning premiers on their own um, deck. It's a pretty big two, three weeks, and they'll also be getting to that point where they'll be looking to the bye. They're a younger team generally. Um, you know, it just really shows the, the sort of things we talked about last year. It's a six, seven-year journey, isn't it, to get where you are. There's no shortcuts to to shortcut to get where the Ds are now. Do we know if uh, Nat Fife is back this week? Well, I read on Demonland someone said that they're going to rush him back, but I hope he they could, do. He could, he could, he could be. I, it would strike me as a sign of desperation if they do, because he's been he hasn't played a game this season, has he? No, no. So he'd want to have been training the house down to come in for the, you know, against the, this game. They mentioned on the on the on the um, broadcast the other day that uh, he was still one or two weeks away. But that was BT or someone, so I don't yeah. know how much I can trust his uh, thing. He was just reading probably off something. He's more uh, trustworthy than David King, isn't he? Yeah, well, their, their last updated injury list was Tuesday, 17th of May, and it just said Nat Five back, TBA. Um, the, so we'll the, the other interesting thing about the conditions both weeks that made me wonder about their game plan is that they were playing, you know, the – I hadn't sort of fully appreciated how much they rely on that outside handball to get those chains of handball. And they, like I said, they were playing, they seemed, they kept on trying to play that style. And I remember when Melbourne, two or three years ago, even when we started our rise up, we played poorly in the wet. Um, now our game plan is much more suited to the wet, but we've got the skilled players as well, haven't we? Um, we've got... Uh Terence on the line. Um, I just, uh, guys, give me a thumbs up if you can hear Terence when he comes up. Terence, good day. How are you? Hello, Andy. Um, I can hear you perfectly well, by the way. Oh, fantastic. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, perfect. Uh, go ahead. Great. 
Um, so it's nice to be able to call in uh, without making this about me. I, I was travelling back from uh, Dublin where I study um, over the weekend by car ferry and um, coming back from France into into Brussels on Saturday. Um, so I didn't get to actually see the game um, being played live um, and because I was driving, I just uh, I put on Fox and listened to the audio, So which raised a question for me. So we've talked about, um, as it's all when talking about our injuries, but I did hear, if I heard correctly, that during the course of the game, Petrarca was a little bit sore for a while, um, uh, Lever was a little bit sore for a while, I thought, and there was one other who I can't remember. I mean, um, Rachel got knocked around a little bit. So, so my question to the, um, to the group is whether um, we have any concerns. Uh, I know the next three weeks are going to be really difficult and then we have to buy. Um, I'm just interested to look forward. Um, to see how we're going to manage not only possible um, niggles, if you like, um, that are not necessarily being reported. And um, as Binman talked about last year, the fact that probably after the buy will start to load um, and so we're going to probably see some fairly, fairly, I don't know, average performances, but um, performances impacted by a load. I'm just interested on what you guys think about um, that. And then let me give you the second question while you can still hear me. Um, and I know you've tried awfully hard, Andy, to get uh, get people from the club um, to talk, but I happened to listen to um, uh, Adam Uze, um on a on a podcast that will remain unnamed um, a few weeks ago, and he was terrific. So any chance of being able to get him? And then I was really humanist that we got on the Melbourne website of um, Tucker Williams talking about, uh, about DNA guys. Um, so again, just some opportunity to be able to get some insights uh, would really be terrific. And as I say, I know you're trying, but you know, just some encouragement. And I guess as listeners um, to the podcast, what can we do um, to motivate the club to, to give you access to some of these really important people? Over to you, Andy. Well, I think you, I'm not sure where you heard um, Adam Uze, but uh, we did interview Adam Uze, uh on on this podcast a couple of weeks ago, probably about four or five weeks ago now, uh, which you can um, get from any of your okay. podcasts. So I um, apologise. Um, I did I did then, um, and I'm not going to. Um, the other one, rather one was, but again, a really interesting. Fact. Um, into some of the players, so so I apologise that I got it wrong. But um, anything that you can do to be able to get um, get them on, and whatever we can do um, to help in in um, encouraging the club to make them available to you, would be terrific. No, there's there's nothing really that, that the audience uh, can do. I've got a pretty good relationship with the club, and um, yeah, it's, uh, I haven't uh, reached out to sort of get someone on just just because of. I've you know, been busy with stuff in uh, my own personal life, but uh, we'll get back onto that uh, as soon as possible. Uh, boys, did you have anything else you wanted to, in relation to anything Terence said about the loading and uh, stuff like that? Be man, you're usually all over that. Well, I just think more of the, like uh, Terence's question around management. I think that what we, again, we can we can just look to what we've done as evidence of what we're likely to do in the future. And one of them is not resting players. Like this time, this time last year in the lead up to the bye, we were a couple of weeks away, I guess, from the bye, but we were all saying, and I was saying, well, look, I'd rest half the team at this point and give them a chop out over the bye. And um, we had plenty of players who could have desperately done with one, as I said a couple of weeks ago, Maxi. 
Maxie had his neck problem going to Adelaide and also in 2019, actually, um, now that I think, so 2020, the same thing um, happened where Maxie was pretty seriously injured and there was that conversation. I think it's pretty clear that they're, that um, Selwyn's um, this is taking a line through Burgess that resilience is key. That's why I think there's actually a very good chance that um, um, they won't rest uh, Langers this week because they're not, I mean, you can see... Um, uh, Lever was the first time he looked unencumbered. I thought he looked okay on the weekend, and Rivers is starting to finally look like he's not carrying a niggle. Um, Track similarly, he's not he's not got any strapping on his knee. They look like they're all playing through their niggles. That's what happened last year. So my answer, Terence, is that I suspect that they won't do anything different. They'll keep selecting players unless there's an injury. The only real example last year of them. Um, resting anyone and that was Salem where they they could have perhaps played him but they gave him a chop out against um, Adelaide with probably with the the view to making sure that he was available for the um, dogs game the following week but that was about the only example all our season of them resting a player other than dropping Brown back which wasn't really resting to tell him and doing that sort of mini preseason so I suspect they will stick to what they've been doing Select the best 22, Niggles, General Soreness, won't be a reason to come out of the side. And as Goody keeps saying, they won't take any risks. If there's a genuine injury, they're not going to play anyone who's injured. Um, but I can't see them resting anyone. Thank you. I appreciate uh, appreciate the insight. So, Andy, I'll hand back to you and uh, I'll let you go, okay? Thank you, Terence. Good uh, on you, Terence. That was uh, Terence in uh, Belgium. Uh, always good to hear from him. But uh, Terence, if you are still listening, I have put a link into our chat room. If you go to, or anyone listening, if you go to demonland.com slash Uze um, or any of the uh, down, uh, podcast apps on Apple or Google, uh, you will be able to find uh, that interview that we did with Adam Uze. Uh, it was a pretty good interview. And are we going to forgive Terence for listening to another Melbourne podcast? Well, that's fine. The more Melbourne contact, the better. I don't, uh, I don't begrudge anyone uh, wanting to get some more uh, demons content. Just don't um, listen to David King, um, Terence. <laughs> just stop that. Um. All right, boys. Um, well, I think uh, I think that's where we'll leave it for now. Thank you, Big Man. Thank you, George. Thank you, Terence. Um, thank you. All of you for listening in. We'll be back next week uh, to discuss the match against the Dockers. Hopefully we come away with a win. Uh, let's go, come Demons. On, go relax. Come on, Demons. Come on.